cool. Hey guys, so I'm live here today with Jeb Blunt. He's the author of Fanatical Prospecting and his new book, which you can see behind him, is Sales EQ. And as you may have just heard, he has come from a corporate background. So I'm really interested in how you started, the kind of pitfalls you came, learnt along the way and what you recommend to people getting started in sales or people, even larger organisations that are trying to improve their process. Well, I think, you know, if we if we talk about, you know, what about people who want to get in sales? Here's something that I think most people really need to understand. And I have this conversation with college students where when I lecture at a couple of universities and I don't care where they are, what class, where they're in business school, I tell them all the truth. The truth is, is that most of you are going to get out of college and you're going to get into sales because the vast majority of, of, of good jobs are going to be in sales, especially when you're in your 20s. So I think most I think most people at least getting out of business school are going to have some experience in sales. And if you have a history degree, you're going to be in sales. An English degree, you're going to be in sales. Unless you're getting a PhD, I guarantee you, you're going to be selling something. So the the chances that you're going to be selling something are pretty good. For me, um, you know, I, I, I was in, I mean, I started selling stuff when I was in high school and I, you know, I just sort of naturally fell into it. I was good at it. And I realized early on that I could make a lot of money. I mean, when I was 26 years old and I've been out of college for three years. You know, I was knocking down U.S. dollars, you know, almost $300,000 a year. And this was in the early 90s. So you can imagine, I mean, I was outpacing the people that that I grew up with and that I went to school with by uh, by many, many you know times over. So there's a great, you know, great opportunity. And I realized that I also realized that if you're great in sales, all the other opportunities come, you know, come to you because, you know, for example, I was 24 years old. I was carrying a bag on the street and at 34 years old, I'm a vice president of sales for a $15 billion company. And that happened because I was able to sell. And if you can sell and you can make it rain, then people will give you more opportunities. Awesome. And that was all as a salesperson originally when you said you're making 300K a year as a regular salesperson. Say that again. Was that 300k a year as a regular salesperson, like a normal? As a regular salesperson, carrying a briefcase, knocking on doors, making phone calls, calling on customers. Absolutely. Cool. And I wasn't selling anything that was sexy. I mean, we didn't have the internet back then. I was selling a mundane product. But if you were willing to hustle and you know willing to work hard and learn the craft, the money was there. No, not everybody was making that kind of money. I mean, there were people that were making $30,000 a year. Uh, there were people who were getting fired from their job, but the opportunity was there. And the reason I love sales for the most part, for salespeople and for, for, for everybody, is because for most jobs, not all jobs, there's some sales jobs that are a little bit restricting, but for most sales jobs, man, I mean, it's, it's up to you. Like, you get to make your own way. You get to be the person that can call your shots. You get to decide whether or not you are going to make $300,000 a year or make $50,000 a year. And, and, you know, most jobs in business, unless you're an entrepreneur, don't have variable income. I mean, excuse me for a second. Let me knock this off. I got people sending me text messages and turn it off. Um, but Jeb, uh, I want to buy from you. You know, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. So, but most people, you know, most people in in business or you know that have jobs, they have a salary. And maybe you get a 3% raise every year. Maybe you get a 5% raise every year. And if the times are bad, maybe you don't get a raise at all. So you can be that person, you know, scraping for a raise, or you can be a person who can point to the stands and call your shot. You can be a person that can create your own opportunity. You have variable income. Now, with that variable income comes risk. A nice, steady job, 
with a 2% raise every single year, you're probably not going to get fired unless you do something really bad. As a salesperson, the threat of being fired is always hanging over your head because it doesn't matter what you sold. It matters what you sell today. So you have to, you have to take that into account. You also have to put up with a lot of rejection. You're going to have to do a lot of prospecting. Things aren't going to be easy. Nobody's going to give things for you. And you can whine all day long about how things aren't fair. But if you don't sell, you don't have a job. So there's a trade-off there. But for me, I prefer to have the variable income. I prefer, even in my own company, where we're a sales company, I love that I can wake up every day and I'm in control over what my income is going to be. So what is the biggest difference you find between someone like who's making 30K and yourself in what you, you were doing as opposed to what they were doing? So, so that one more time for me. What's the biggest difference between what you were doing and those guys that are making 30K a year doing the same job? Yeah, I, I, mostly it was prospecting. I mean, you know, I woke up every day and I made about 100 outbound prospecting touches. And I, nobody told me to. That wasn't the rule. There wasn't a sales manager, you know, breathing down my, 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 you know, my neck. I just learned that the more times I got to bat, the more opportunities I would have. And so what I would typically do, and I was pretty systematic about it. You know, I'd start in the morning. I'd schedule a block. I would do my prospecting, try to set my appointments. And then I would take a list with me during the day. And anytime I had a break, I would call. And I was like one of the first people, like this was, you know, early, earlier, but one of the first people to get a bag phone, right? I mean, I had like, like this big old phone that I carried with oh, me geez. in my car so I could make prospecting calls, you know? And, um, but I, I just, I used every moment of my day to reach out and touch a prospect. And the guys that, you know, were making $30,000 a year, they weren't. Like I was, I was out interrupting people. They were sitting around waiting for people to interrupt them. And that, you know, that's the difference. Like, I mean, it's, and I, I talk about this in my book, Fanatical Prospecting. And it's, you know, it's connected with people because it tells people the truth. But there's not like an easy button. I mean, it's a it's pretty practice. system, you know, simple process. Now, there's obviously there's, you know, understanding how to sell. Like once you're once you have the prospect in place, learning the craft of moving a deal through the process. But I had a great sales manager. My company had really, really good sales training. So if you think about it, the only difference between me and all the people that weren't making as much money as me was the fact that I had more more you know opportunities in my pipeline every day than they did. OK, so really simple, just get more opportunities. In the time yeah. that you, what's big? Okay, so how do you make more opportunities happen for dumber down for the simple people here? Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, simple but not easy, right? So yeah. the way you make more opportunities happen, you know, is you have to use every channel that you have. I mean, you're, you know, you're in digital marketing, right? So that's one channel. There's social. That's a channel. Um, you know, another channel is picking up the phone and calling people, which is, you know, the telephone is your most powerful tool, period, end of story. There's email that's being a little bit overused right now, and most salespeople don't know how to use it correctly. Um, but email, there's there's going out and knocking on doors. Like, there's the old school way, just go out and knock on doors. Um, it's not one of my favorite things to do, but it works. Uh, there's networking. There's asking for referrals. We even use text messaging. And in my business, we use proactive chat. So we'll send an email out. And when someone clicks on it, we pop up a chat box and try to engage them and get them on the telephone. So it's really using everything that you have at your disposal, like all the channels. And we call it a balanced prospecting methodology, but it's balancing that based on your situation, your product, your tenure, your territory. And I believe that every salesperson in every situation is different, but you have to balance that around there. But it's that. 
and it's being relentless. I mean, you know, you wake up every day, you do it, you think about prospecting. That's what we call it being fanatical prospecting. And when it's time to go home at the end of the day and you're ready to quit, make another call. You just do that every single day, every single day, every single day. You know, prospecting is not about nuance. It's full contact. I mean, it is the it is the hard work of selling. Um, Hector Lamarck, um, who's a, a big entrepreneur businessman here in the States, I was listening to him on a podcast and, and someone asked me the same question, like, what does it take to be successful in your company? And Hector said, Hector said it takes hard work. And the hard work at my company is prospecting. And in sales, it takes hard work. And most of the time, the hard work is prospecting. And generally, this is assuming you already have a good product, etc. in place to sell. Well, you know what? Yeah, I mean, I, you would. I mean, the thing is, is that as a as a salesperson, you know, you don't often get to choose your product or service. And you know, there's a handful of salespeople around the world that are working for you know some company that's got the biggest thing ever. And what I tell salespeople everywhere: look, if your product sells itself, they don't need you. Warm up your resume, go someplace else. Most salespeople in Australia, in Europe, in America, um, in Canada, and you know, in Italy, are selling mundane products that that businesses buy on a regular basis. Most of the salespeople are not working for the number one company in their space. Most of the salespeople are working for number twos and number threes. That's just statistics, yeah. right? So those salespeople are making a lot of money. I didn't work for the number one company in my industry when I was making $300,000 a year. I worked for me. It was about me. They weren't buying the company. They were buying me. Yeah. And and so, you you know, we, we always say, you know, you're working for a good company. You got to blah, 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 blah. I love all that stuff. And, you know, you got to believe in your product. Yeah, maybe. Um, I've, I'm passionate about solving problems. I'm passionate about selling. I sold a product that was dull and it was boring and it you know it didn't excite me to wake up every day and sell the product what excited me was to wake up every single day and have the opportunity to go to learn about someone's business and create value for them or to show them how to do something differently or to find a puzzle or something that was wrong and fill it in that's what i enjoy doing and it's the same thing that i say to you know to college students when I'm talking to them, you know, yeah, it's really awesome to go find your passion. I hope that you do. It's way better to bring your passion with you wherever you go. You'll be a lot more successful that way. Very cool. What is your business now? So you we're working as a sales company, vice yeah. president of sales. Now you kind of a sales training company. What is it exactly? Yeah, salesgravy.com is the largest uh, sales job board uh, in the United States. So, um, so the the core part of our company, our, our online advertising, sell employment advertising, and we were talking about clicks earlier. We arbitrage clicks basically, um, but. We, we're the largest uh, online employment portal in the U.S. And so companies who want to hire salespeople, they come see us. Um, that's one part of our business. The, the, the bigger part of our business that is, that is growing rapidly uh, is our training and development business. So we have uh, something called SalesGrave University. That's our online training portal. We've invested, um, gosh, well, the, at the end of the year, we'll have invested about a half million dollars total in this, in this platform. We're teaching classes to students all over the world through the platform, uh, both self-directed and um, remote and structure-led classes. It's been a really cool product. Product. It's uh, you know on an i. You can get on your app. Uh, you can get it on your uh, your Android phone, your iPhone, 
And at the same time, we do a massive amount of consulting. We have um, a growing group of trainers who are out in the street uh, training salespeople, developing salespeople. We also work in the indirect channel space. We have a company called Shell's, it's, uh, Channel EQ, and we work with uh, mostly software companies, SaaS Cloud, IoT, um, companies that are, are selling through an indirect channel and um, and we have clients in in the in Australia. A lot of this is remote, obviously by phone. Um, but that's a growing piece of our business there. And we built Channel University to support support that support partner readiness. I, I apologize. I've got to jack this thing up a little bit here. <laughs> that's right. Sorry, my earphone keeps falling out. That's Take fine, care. man. It's all good. So I've got a question here from Taylor Edward. What do you believe is the most effective way currently to prospect into the enterprise? So I've asked him to clarify that. Um, Enterprise account, so 500 million revenue companies. Yep. So typically with an enterprise account, you're going to have a wide array of stakeholders. So, and, and typically if you're an enterprise rep, um, your prospect database, like the, 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 the population of prospects you have will be relatively small. An example of that is I have a software company that I work with. Their core product is an enterprise level uh, solution, typically a half million U.S. dollars to around 20 million U.S. dollars. And most of the enterprise reps only have about 70 total prospects. Now, what, what we have to understand about an enterprise account is that you have a wide stakeholder array. So that means that there are people in that account all the way from the board level people all the way down to the end user who may be using a product and may have influence over them buying that product. So when I'm working with enterprise reps, what I try to open their eyes up to is that you may have as many as 20 to 25 people inside an enterprise account that you need to get to know and have a relationship with. So you're going to be prospecting into those accounts. The other thing you have to realize with an enterprise account is that if you – let's say you have 70 or 100. Let's just take 100. It's easy. If you have 100 enterprise accounts, you're probably only going to sell one or two, maybe three of those things a year. So you're only going to have a small segment of those accounts that move into the buying window at any given time. So the vast majority of your prospecting is really going to be qualifying. It's going to be building relationships and it's going to be nurturing. And it's going to be identifying when those, when those buying windows are open. And that's why with enterprise accounts, you're really focused on something called strategic prospecting. And with strategic prospecting, you're using everything. You know, for example, with the company I'm talking about, one of the things that we do is we go to conferences where we meet stakeholders. We try to map all the stakeholders in the in the account. We do call them. We use email. We use snail mail. Um, when they're out calling on another account, for example, they will, you know, and most of this is done via phone, but when they're out in the field, they'll make a phone call and go to lunch. Um, you can, um, you, they use social media to stay in touch with them. So, there's not a single channel in the enterprise space that is going to solve all your problems. What you really want to do is blend those channels, and then what I like to do is create a, like a prospecting cadence. So I identify the account, and you could call this account-based prospecting. I know there's account-based everything today, and I can't stand the damn buzzword, but it would be account-based prospecting. But you're, you identify the stakeholders, you identify the touches, and then you start working on them. And the big thing with the enterprise account is that you're, you're, you really have to be aware and pay attention to if there's a fixed buying window when you know a contract is up, that's easy, right? But if the buying window is going to be a trigger, it's going to be a budgetary issue, you got, you need to get way ahead of that, pay attention to those signals, and make sure you have those relationships. And honestly, the, the place where enterprise reps make the biggest mistake 
is 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 they either they either you know give all of that to a sales development rep, some 22 year old has no idea how to build relationships inside an enterprise account, or they get they get myopic and focus on one or two people inside the account, and they leave everything else to chance. And what happens if they have the competitor that has those relationships? They end up getting their head handed to them. I hope that answers your question. I think it does. So really, you're looking to be omnipresent within the people that matter within your enterprise accounts. Absolutely. You need to know everybody. And, you know, if they get a cold, you need to sneeze. I mean, that's how it is. I guess maybe if they, if you sneeze, they sneeze, you get a cold. Maybe this is the other way around. But you, you've got to, you've got to understand everything is happening. You can't leave anything to chance. And, um, and it, and it's hard, hard work. Um, this, you know, it's always on. It's, it's in fact harder, in my opinion, to prospect into enterprise accounts than anything else because your prospecting takes on a completely different form than the rep who needs to set two appointments every single day, has a 90 to 180 day, you know, sales cycle, and you know, typically three to five calls, and they're going to close the deal and move on to the next one. That's way different than the enterprise rep who may spend three to four years working a deal before. They get to bat. Far out. That's just for the opportunity to get there as well, isn't it? It's not even to close a deal. It's three to four years just to have the opportunity to pitch. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. And when you only get one or two shots a year, maybe three, you know, do you, do you want to put yourself in the best position to win? Do you want to have the highest win probability in those deals? Or, you know, do you want to be in a situation where, um, you know, you're, you're, you know, you've, you've got a lot of unknowns out there uh, and, you know, you're just there at the last minute. And this is one of the big problems with enterprise reps who aren't working that hard, like who don't have that type of awareness inside their accounts. What happens is they'll have an enterprise account that's in their database or in their territory or in their space that will have a trigger event that will create a buying window inc- you know, incident and then all of a sudden they get called in. But in this case, the enterprise account is basically they're they're down the path. They've done work. They're you know they're they're you know they're issuing an RFP. You didn't build a relationship. You don't know what's going on, and you're basically you know becoming a puppet to their buying process versus you know you initiating the sales process and being in control. And I could I mean we could talk about this forever, but I mean these are these are big issues for enterprise level reps. And and this is one we talk about this in Sales EQ that that big old book behind me. But I talk a lot about. This. You know how you, you know how you manage the complex sell in the account, um, especially for enterprise reps, and how you're bending win probability and 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 managing the processes of sales. The, there's three process, three core, you know core processes of sales. There's the the buying process, the sales process, and the decision process. But how are you managing those so that you're getting yourself in position to win in your enterprise deal? Excellent. Got another question here from Carlos Rosario. What do you think is the best option for someone who's Best value or low-cost CRM for little guys or gals? So I'm assuming he runs a consultancy. So obviously something they can yeah. scale with him. There's, there's, a couple of, there's a couple of really good solutions out there. One of my, one of my favorite solutions is um, something called Zoho. Uh, it's about twelve to twenty dollars a month per person. It's great for an individual. It does exactly what a CRM is supposed to do. You can go online, go to zoho.com. I have no affiliation with them whatsoever, uh, so it's a it's a good solution. Uh, another solution is HubSpot. So if you're running a consultancy or you're you know you're trying to build some you know some inbound marketing or you want to do some you know digital um, advertising or what have you. 
there is a, a, a basically a marketing suite that goes along with the HubSpot CRM. The HubSpot CRM is free, um, but there are plugins that you have to pay for that are pretty significant. So you could go from Zoho at twelve to I think it's twelve bucks a month to HubSpot where you're spending fifty dollars a month. But if you want to plug it into a marketing solution, and I my company uses HubSpot um, as a marketing solution, we 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 use Salesforce as our CRM. For an individual, Salesforce is a pretty expensive thing to have. There's another one out there called Pipedrive. It's out of a company out of Nashville. I've seen a couple of my clients use it. The interface is beautiful. I don't know whether or not it is you know, good for an individual or not. I would go check it out, and I, but I love the, oh, it's good for the, 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 um, the user interface. was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good for sales management, not so much for the emails and all that kind of stuff, but you'd want more yep. HubSpot or something for more yep. in-depth tracking. Yeah. That's cool. That's very cool. And tell me about Sales EQ. We haven't really spoken too much about that yet. What is the new book about? What is it? It's good you're excited about sharing that with people. I'm, I'm, really, well, <laughs> I'm really excited about this book. You know, Fanatical Prospecting has been a worldwide – it's been a phenomenon. It's been unbelievable. I mean um, – and in a lot of ways, uh, just over the last 18 months, that book, and I've, it's my, that was my seventh book, but that book sort of changed everything in our business uh, because it's been picked up. Well, Sales EQ starts where fanatical prospecting leaves off. And Sales EQ is, uh, is really focused on ultra-high performers. So there's a group of salespeople out there, that this small population of salespeople that are absolutely crushing it. In our crazy digital world where you know buyers are changing their habits, these people get it and they understand it. And what they do is they've, they've learned how to leverage something called sales-specific emotional intelligence. So this is emotional intelligence that is applied inside a commercial salesperson and buyer relationship. And they've been able to shape win probabilities. They've been able to build better relationships. And they've been able to um, to put themselves in position to win by, by both managing their own disruptive emotions and leveraging influence frameworks that allow them to, uh, to influence the behaviors and the emotions of the buyers and stakeholders in their accounts. And... It's um, if you if you think about some of the big sales books that have come out, you know, Challenger Sell, uh, Big Book, uh, Spin Selling, one of the most popular sales books of all time, Strategic Selling, one of my all time favorites. What Sales EQ does is it basically plugs in to these books. It is um, it's the missing piece. One of the problems with Challenger, for example, is that the concept is not bad. It's just that most salespeople can't actualize it because most salespeople walk through the door and they haven't earned the right emotionally to challenge the buyer. Hmm. So what Sales EQ does is it teaches them how to do that. And um, it's a, I, I'm, I just, it's, it's out in two weeks. Uh, it'll be available in Australia. It'll be available all over the world. Um, in the U.S., it'll be available um, in all the bookstores and on Amazon, of course. But um, Barnes & Noble is going to be carrying it. But it's, um, it basically is um, – it's the book that honestly, if I was writing a sales book for myself, it's the book that I've written for myself. And when I was reading it the last time through, I thought to myself, you know, that, that's – this is what I want. This is this is who I am. This is how I sell. This is what I do. And we've broken it down all the way through the process, so it's deep. There's not a lot of you know fluff in the book, um, but it will it will teach you to do things that you know most salespeople have no idea how to do in a human to human relationship to influence buying decisions in their behavior in, in their favor. Where's the best place for people to sign up to 
I guess your list or to even find out about when the new when the book is released. Just found the Amazon um, link. Yeah, abs- yeah. <laughs> You're right. absolutely. If you if you can go to um, you can go to Amazon. Uh, you can mm-hmm. go to uh, salesgravy.com forward slash salesEQ. So at salesgravy.com forward slash salesEQ. You can learn more about it there. In the book, by the way, there is a code that gives you a year's access to all of the resources on salesEQ, very similar to what we did with Fanatical Prospecting. It's like a $1,200 freebie that we have in the book, and that will be at salesEQ as well. So you can go there. You can go check it out. You can go to Amazon. Uh, and um, and if you check me on my Twitter feed, there's a link on my Twitter feed someplace that I, I dropped in. But at the moment, I can't even tell you what the um, so what good. the what the URL is. But go to go to I'm at, at Sales Gravy on Twitter, or you can find me on uh, LinkedIn. And there's two tre- two free chapters that were given away. The button's not on um, on Sales EQ. Uh, the website salesgravy.com forward slash salesEQ yet, but it will be tomorrow. We'll have that up. But oh, if you find awesome. me on Twitter, you'll be able to get the link. That is brilliant. I've just seen the link up here, guys. So if you guys want to check it out, I definitely recommend checking out that. And if you haven't already, check out Fanatical Prospecting. I, myself and a lot of other people I know love this book. It's amazing, and it's the reason why I got into you, you, you as well, Jeb. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I guess, um Jeb, what is the biggest piece of advice you've had that's been most profound in your own career? Um, you know, one of the greatest pieces of advice that I ever got, uh, and this has nothing to do with selling, this has more to do with life, um, was when you're faced with a decision, like when you have to make a decision about two things or three things or four things, and you're having a difficult time, do the thing that you'll remember most. And... And that, you know, that piece of advice has led me in the craziest places. You know, I've, I've gone all over the place. I've, you know, I've gone down like, you know, alleyways that of, you know, physically, you know, literally and, you know, and, um, and figuratively, but I've done, I, you know, I've done things that I wouldn't normally do. And it, you know, it's the, um, you know, it's the Robert Frost, Frost poem. It's my, you know, my favorite poems, you know, two woods our two roads converged and I took the one less traveled. Um, but I, that, that advice to me was just the greatest advice. And it's the advice that I give people all the time. Do the thing you're going to remember the most. Love it. I think that's on that note, we'll uh, wrap up this interview. Guys, until next time, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Really, my friend? That was really good.